Heavenly Father, I just thank you again, Lord. I thank you for the privilege of being here, Lord. I thank you just for this chance to fellowship, a chance to get into your word, Lord, to look at it verse by verse and to learn the teachings that you would have us, Lord, so we can learn what it is to do just to be a follower of you, Lord. So, Lord, as we dig into your word, as we look at it verse by verse, word by word, Lord, I just pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would hear something, Lord, through your word that would speak to us, Lord, that would, Lord, we would be able to use it in our daily lives. We'd be able to go out through this week, Lord, and we'd run into situations, Lord, then we'd be like, oh, that's how you want me to be as a Christian, as a follower of you, Jesus Christ. Or maybe we would be encouraged and say, I need to do this because that's what Jesus wants me to do. That's the life that Jesus wants me to live. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, as we get into your word, Lord, that you would just teach us. Your Holy Spirit would just fill this place, Lord. Our hearts and our minds would just be open, Lord. We'd have ears to hear to receive your word. So, Lord, I pray the same for the children, Lord. Just bless our time and speak to us, Lord. Let us hear from you. Lord, as I look at my words, if I look at, I think of my thoughts and the stories or the the interpretations or the applications that I have here, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Pastor Steve gave us a message. It was in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to turn there real quick because I think I want to go back there and talk about it just for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I heard some of the Myanmar people had a trouble with his southern accent. So chapter 11, he preached verses 1 through 15. And his message to all of us was a warning. This is Paul's message in 2 Corinthians. And Steve was preaching that. His title of his message was Another Jesus. Now, this warning that Paul is offering to the Corinthians and their church it still applies to us today, just as much as it applied to the Corinth and the church there. So I just want to take a quick minute to review that because it was so important. So look at verses 3 and 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read that. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one that you believed. Look at them words very, very carefully. This is happening today, right here in this own community. And I'm just, I prayed about this before, I'm just going to call it out black and white to all of you. There's Mormons, there's Jehovah Witnesses right in this very area, and this is exactly part what this scripture is referring to. I want no mistakes made. This is a different gospel. I want to be very clear. We have pamphlets back there in Burmese if anyone needs them explaining exactly who they are. Because it is not the same. Now we're going to look real quick. Verses 13 through 15. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of the righteous. This is a real deal, guys. They do not serve Jesus. 
When they say they are Christians, I want to be clear, they are not. When they say, this is Jesus, when they, you hear them pray, they say, Church of Latter-day Saints, or Jehovah Witness, they say, we, we worship, it's not, it's not the same. They even say that Jesus is a fallen, you know, he's an angel, he's a brother of Satan. So, as he preached that message, I want to be clear that those, especially those here, that we have to be so aware of these false apostles as it talks about here. I, I just, I want to call it out, just black and white to everyone here. Um, it was Steve's message, it was last week, but we need to be in God's word, we need to be learning the truth, we need to learn what is in the Bible so we can discern between them and Christians. Now, two weeks ago, we're going to turn there, I was in Luke, and we're going to be quick here, so Luke chapter 19, turn to Luke. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 48. As we studied with me two weeks ago, we saw Jesus and his disciples walking towards Jerusalem, entering the city. And as we looked at that, if you look at the passage, we see Jesus' reaction. Do you remember that? Look at verse 41. What do you see? 1941. As they came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead, and he began to weep. Do you remember that? Jesus passionately poured out, I believe, emotion as he wept. He looked on to see the people. He looked at the city. He saw the temple. And he knew what was to take place. So he wept. We also know during these scriptures, he prophesied. He knew what was going to take place because of their lack of faith. And he wept. We see, as we looked at it two weeks ago, we saw the passion of Jesus. A lot of people, you know, when they think of Jesus, passionate. Look at verse 45. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, selling animals for sacrifices. This was passionate. Jesus saw sin inside of his temple, and he drove it out. Very passionately. Very physically. And then, as he, after he's done this, you, if you were to read on, you remember, he taught. He taught the people. And then as he was teaching, remember the children were there singing the psalm, singing praises to him. So, as we looked at that two weeks ago, and we saw Jesus' passion, and we saw, we reminded though that as he drove that sin out of the temple, we talked about how we, are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. And I asked each one of us to look at our lives. Is there anything inside of that temple that would be displeasing to God? Does he need to get in there and drive something out? I don't know. Now, I also asked, how is our passion? How is our passion? Is it like Jesus? Are we going to get out there and share the gospel? Are we going to be passionate like Jesus? How's it been going for you? This morning, I just flew in from Bangkok. I'll share a quick story. I was, so I flew out Friday night. Got there about 12 o'clock. Got to bed maybe about 2. I don't know. I didn't sleep anyways. <laughs> got up at 5. Went and played footy. Say, I recurrently for the Australians. For the rest, it's like rugby, Australian football all day. 
which is a full contact sport. We played four games. Won two out of four. Not too bad. So I got bruises. I got a fat lip. I took an elbow to the lip, to the face. Um, that's why Aaron's not here, too. He got a sunburn. Um, took a few kicks to the legs. Um, much better off than a lot of the people. So I'm tired, right? Then I got in the car, and I drove all the way back to Bangkok. It's quite late. Then went to bed, got up at 5 this morning, and got on a plane to come back here. I'm tired. I'm wore out. My legs hurt. There's nothing worse than sitting in a plane or a car after you've done like a ton of physical exercise. I was squirming. I was like, my legs are not feeling good. And there's a lady next to me, and I'm, 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 I got my earphones in, and I'm listening to the Bible, being super spiritual. And I'm like, I have a captive audience next to me. I need to share somehow, some way. I don't know this lady. She's just some lady. She's holding a man's hand next to her, so obviously I assume her husband. And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, I'm tired. I just want to sit here. I want to go to sleep. I want to listen to my music. I'm just tired. I don't have passion right now. My legs hurt. I'm tired. I'm going to preach today. Come on. The lady looks at me, and I start talking to her, right? And she starts talking to me. She brings up the conversation to talk to me. We're talking a little bit. She's really nice. Her husband's asleep. And then I don't, and I, I don't know how this came up. She looks at me. She says, I'm a Christian too. I'm like, huh? She's like, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian too. And I don't even, maybe she looked at my phone or something. I don't know how she would have known that. But it was like God telling me, I, you know, I should have talked to the lady. I should have instigated the conversation perhaps. But it was, to me, it was like God speaking to me. And we had a long conversation about God. And she told me how she went to, she was from Thailand. And so she was Thai. Told me she went to India and actually got saved there and, um, told me all her story and we had a discussion for an hour plane ride. But it was interesting how I, I wasn't really being obedient. I wasn't being really passionate. I was tired. And the lady looks at me and says, I'm a Christian. So I don't know. I don't know how you want to read into that. I don't know what that's about. I, I don't even know. Yes. But I don't know. But we've got to have passion. A plane's a great way to, because <laughs> they can't leave. But uh, anyways, I just thought I'd share that story because it's just very interesting to me. That is how God sometimes works. When you're sitting there like, God, I should talk to her. I know, I know you're telling me to talk to her, and then she just looks at me and says that. So I don't know. It was neat. So today is an interesting message. Today we're going to be in John chapter 12. Are we to die as Jesus? I got some great sermon titles, right? So everyone turn to John chapter 12. Are we to die as Jesus? And I hope I got that two spelt right. We debated that one. Your English people here. I got several English majors in here. So, so what's your answer to this question? Are you to die as Jesus? As we pick up this story, remember Jesus and the disciples, they're in or near Jerusalem. In this particular story, we don't know exactly where they're at. But we do know it's still, it's Passover celebration, Passover, and that Jesus is only days away from his crucifixion. Now we know, we talked about it earlier, Jesus has been causing some trouble in the temple, flipping some tables, right? Causing some problems. But now, he's continuing to teach. And as he continues to teach over, we're going to look at many different teachings, the religious leaders are continuing to plot against him, to kill him. So let's start off. John chapter 12, verse 20 and 22. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, Sir, we want to meet with Jesus. 
These Greeks have came and they're searching. They want to meet Jesus. Now maybe, maybe you look at this like maybe they asked Philip, right? Now we don't know all the circumstances around this, but I was looking at it, you know, Philip's name was actually Greek. So maybe that's why they went to Philip. We don't know why, why they went to Philip. But we do know Philip was Jewish and from Galilee, but his name was actually Greek. So they went to him and asked him. But then I thought, you know, I always got to look at verses and start asking questions. Who were these Greeks? Who were these people? Maybe they were uh, people that believed in God and came to Passover to observe it. They obviously weren't Jewish, and they haven't converted to Judaism, we don't believe. We don't know. Maybe they were just passing through. Maybe they were merchants. Uh, we don't know exactly who these Greeks were. We don't know if they were really, they were there for Passover to celebrate, you, you know, to find more about God. Maybe they came all the way and heard about Jesus, like the wise men. We're not sure who they were, but we do know a very important fact, don't we, about these Greeks. They were seeking Jesus. They were looking to meet with Jesus. They wanted something from Jesus. What did they want? Why? What had caused these Greeks, or what had they heard about Jesus, that they wanted to meet with him? One thing's for sure. They were curious. There's something there. So, what? I mean, what an amazing thing. That's the most wonderful thing you can usually hear as a Christian. Hey, I hear you're a Christian. Can you tell me, who's this Jesus? Can you tell me about him? I'd like to meet him with him. I mean, that's like door wide open, right? Like they're on the plane. I don't usually get that kind of invite, do we? But praise the Lord when we do. Now, these, these passages don't tell us exactly who, who these people were or why. But as I read it, I want to ask myself the question is, today, what would cause a person, think about all the people you know, to seek out Jesus? We were talking about the devastation that's happening in Myanmar. Sometimes there's the question of why. Sometimes there's needs, and people, they'll pray out to Jesus. If you're really real, God, help me with these needs. There's lots of reasons. What would cause a person today to seek God or seek Jesus? Like These Greeks were seeking him. Not sure why, but what would cause someone to walk up to you today and say, I want to know more about your Jesus? What would cause someone to do that? Now, everyone that knows me or has known me for a little while, if you talk to me for a while, you'll find out quickly I'm a Christian, right? I mean, I assume most of that with everyone. If you have any type of relationship with you after not much time, they'll know that you're a Christian and that you believe in Jesus Christ. So after they spent some time with you, ask yourself this question. Are they like, wow, who is Jesus? Who is this God they worship? Or... Maybe after they get to know you or me, sometimes they're like, wow, I don't know if I want to know more about this Jesus. Dangerous question, right? We've got to be cautious of that. We are ambassadors for Christ. They should meet us and want to know more about Jesus, not less. So some other thoughts and I, these Greeks really brought up to me is, why were these Greeks looking when what draws others to our faith? What else would draw someone to a faith? Maybe they weren't getting the answers in the faith they had. How can each one of you draw people to seek Jesus? I don't have all these answers, by the way. I'm giving you a lot of questions to think, but I think we need to ask some of these questions. How can we draw people to seek Jesus? I know the, the Holy Spirit takes care of a lot of this, but I do believe we do play a part in some of this. I think a lot of it's just being willing. But 
So what, as I ask him questions, what examples do we see through the scriptures from Jesus and the disciples that caused people to ask, who is Jesus? Because I guarantee when Jesus is around, the disciples around, a lot of people were asking, who is Jesus? So I think we can look at some examples there. I think we should pray about questions like this, um, that Jesus would show us and equip us and use us, that we could draw people to, to Jesus. So as I kind of went on a little bit of a rant there, I just, I don't know, that's kind of what, I don't know why I felt that, but I just, we need to draw people to Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit, yes, but we do have a part. So let's look, let's just continue on here. John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Now these Greeks have asked for this meeting, right? But who is Jesus speaking to here? You can look at it. I don't know for sure. It doesn't really say that they even actually got to meet with Jesus. We don't really know. Um, we don't know if he's speaking directly to the Greeks or he's talking to the d- disciples or I don't know. I think he's going to speak to anyone that's going to listen, which is going to include us today. Um, I don't even know for sure if the Greeks ever had their meeting. Um, it's, it is amazing, though, what he said in verse 23. Look at it. What did Jesus say in verse 23? Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. That's amazing. You know, there's been many times, if you look back, I can think of twice before for sure, that Jesus said just the opposite, right? It is not my time. My time has not come yet. But now, it's changed. He says, now the time has come. So we can, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna turn there for your reference later. You can look at John chapter 2, verse 4. You could also look at John chapter 7, verse 6, and you can see these examples. But I think today when Jesus says this, this is a real turning point in Jesus' ministry. Look back at verse 24. What is it saying here? Look at verse 24. Do you see the analogy there? Of the kernel of wheat planted in the soil and dying? Think about this kernel. Unless it falls to the ground and is buried, it will never sprout. It will never produce a fruit-producing plant. A plant which in time will produce seeds, which is seeds which will multiply time and time again. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians real quick. I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 through 37. But someone may ask, How will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies... Sorry, I want to make sure. I got the wrong verse there, I think. Sorry. 1 Corinthians 35. Yeah, I got it. Good. Sorry. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What foolish questions... There it is. When you put seed into the ground and it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first... And what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only the bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each seed. You see that analogy there? 
We can see through this analogy and the one before, there must be death and burial to have a new life. You see it? Think about that. This is what Jesus, we know this is what Jesus has done for us. But what about each one of us? Does this apply to us? Turn back to John chapter 12, verse 25. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. What does it mean to love? I think most of us have different definitions. Think about it. What does it mean to love? Think of the things that you love. 31 years. There's some love there. Now think about this. 31 years, and you're going to hear the rest of my message here. Because 31 years. Most often, we view love as an emotion. Right? You think it's an emotion. It's a feeling. Right? It can be. But more often than not, love is an action. It's something you do. It's our actions behind what we say that is love. If you say you love something, will you give yourself entirely to that? To that person? Now, depending on how much you love a person or a thing or whatever it may be, will determine how much you're willing to give. There's really a value established there, isn't there? In love. Because it's an action. How much are you willing to give for what you love? Now, marriage is one example, right? You've heard maybe the analogy says, oh, in a marriage you give 50-50. Don't ever listen to that. Because that's bad marital advice. You have to give 100-100. I'll tell you right now, in a marriage. You give 100, and that's it. You You don't get to talk about the other side. But, Let's look at, I ask that question. How much are you willing to give for what you love? Think about that question and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 17 through 19. It was faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac. Even though man, even though God, repeat that, even though God had told him, Isaac is a son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in that sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Verse 20, it was by faith that Isaac produced blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. Jesus instructs us in this passage and many others throughout the Bible that we must be living our life for him in such a way that by comparison, we can care nothing for our own desires. Marriage is the same way. A commentator I read said it this way. The man whose priorities are right has such an attitude of love for the things of God that it makes all interest 
you know, the affairs of his life appear by comparison as hatred. Think about that. What is love? What are you willing to give up? Let's look at verse 26. Back to John. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Jesus is asking, if you want to be my disciple, the question's out there, if you want to be my disciple, this question is directed to everyone, to the Greeks, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and everyone sitting here today. Jesus is telling everyone how to be his disciples. To follow his example. That's what he says there. What example is he speaking of? What example is Jesus asking you to follow? What does Jesus say? What did he mean when he said here, my servants must be where I am? Jesus says we must do this Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. Follow Jesus where? What's it talking about here? What does it look like, according to this, to follow Jesus in this time and our time today? I think as we look at this, we get this, this question, this following of Jesus. It goes back to the question and the analogy of the kernel of wheat. This is what this is about. We are to die to oneself. If we are to be born again and followers of Jesus Christ, we must die to oneself. Now, what's that mean exactly? I mean, it sounds kind of strange. Let's look to Romans, because I'll tell you right now, Romans 6, 9, Paul can explain this a whole lot better than I ever could. So let's turn to Romans 6. Everybody agreed with that. The nods nodded. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Amen. One of the greatest preachers ever there, Paul. Romans 6, 3. Let's look at this. This is... If you pay, if you guys pay attention to anything in this sermon, pay attention to this. Romans 6, 3 through 9. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin, ready, might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from dead and will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Amen. I couldn't ever explain it better. I hope you, if you took anything right there, take that from today's sermon. We're reminded here, though, as we look at that, you look at that, we're reminded of water baptism in that scripture, right? We see it in there. We, get, we see it as an example. Water baptism, an example, is one dying to oneself. To be lowered into the water. Then being raised up out of the water. Raised up out of the grave. Washed clean from our sins. This is an example. And raised to a new life or to the new man as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's just amazing. Now let's continue. Let's go back to John chapter 12. I split the verses here a little bit. So you kind of see I got the 20, the A in there. 
John chapter 12, verse 27. I'll just read it up here. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray? Father, save me from this hour. By this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Jesus knows that his crucifixion is days away. And he's deeply troubled about what he's going to face. Think about that. I mean, could you imagine knowing what was coming? This physical pain that Jesus was going to endure is more than any of us probably could ever imagine. I mean, the, the, all of it. It's, it's, it's more than any of us could imagine. But that wasn't even, I think, what troubled him. I don't think the pain was what troubled him all. I think what deeply troubled Jesus was something else. It was so much greater than the physical pain he was going to endure. Uh, you know, I want to look, turn to Matthew. We're going to read this. Is it Matthew 26, 38. Everyone there? This is Jesus expressing the troubling of his soul. He told them, he's talking to the disciples, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet, yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Amazing. Think about this. What is Jesus doing for us here? Look at it again. I want your will to be done, not mine. He's taking his, our sins upon him. This is, I think there's just zero comparison when you think of physical pain. I mean, he experienced that. zero comparison to any pain ever known to man compared to what Jesus faced taking our sins upon him. The sins of the world upon him. The pain of separation from him and the Father. There's no comparison even to the greatest physical pain. This is what deeply troubled Jesus here. This is the very reason that Jesus has come, to pay the price for each and every one of our sins, to be that sacrifice for each and every one of us. Jesus, in this passage, he knows. He knows what's going to take place. He knows. Just think about that. That tells us so much about Jesus and his character and who he is, that he knows all of this, and yet he's there going to offer his very soul as an offering for each of ours. So that we can have life. I asked you earlier about that example to follow Jesus. What is it to follow him when he asked? This is the example we are to follow if we are going to be one of Jesus' disciples. To bring glory to God. We are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. A little tough. Look at verse 28, the second part of it. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Shall I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. 30. Get all that right? I don't think that's right, John. Yeah. Jesus told them, I'm going to read it in here just to make sure I got it right. I don't get it wrong because it's important. When the crowd heard the... John chapter 12, verse 28. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke to heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do it so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, The voice was from your benefit, not mine. 
There we go. <laughs> There's only two other recorded times that we know of, right? That Jesus, that God has spoke to Jesus. You guys remember them? When did, when is God's voice, when was it heard? Baptism. And his transfiguration. Two times. God here has assured the people and us just the same, right? This voice is for us too. Because this took place. This really happened. That Jesus was going to bring glory. There was, this bringing glory was, it's just, it's amazing to me. I mean, Jesus continually, this isn't like a one-time thing. It just didn't have, Jesus was continually bringing glory to God through his obedience to what God has called him to do. This is a perfect example for all of us to see. Continual obedience. Yet, you see in Jesus, right, his soul is deeply troubled. He's, he's facing something none of us can even fathom in any which way. And yet, he remained obedient. What an example for us. Jesus remained in God's will. Listen, Jesus remained in God's will despite how we felt physically and emotionally. Can you grasp that? Because I tell you what, there's a lot of stuff that goes around in our world. A lot of stuff we have to deal with. A lot of feelings we have, and feelings are real. Emotions are very real. But through that, we've got to rely on God's truth. Jesus felt the same way that we feel. He experienced the emotions like we feel. But he always walked in God's will. He always through all this, having his soul troubled, he still fulfilled God's purpose for his life. That's hard sometimes. Just like I told you about the plane, right? I didn't feel like it. I was tired. I didn't want to talk to that lady. I was tired. I was beat up. I've had a long week. God, Jesus always walked perfectly in God's will. Some first drivers, no matter how we're feeling, tired, emotional, I don't know, it just... It's amazing to me to see that. Let's look at verse 31 and 33. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of the world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from heaven and I will draw everyone to myself. He said this was to indicate how he was going to die. It's amazing. Satan was cast out here from any rightful authority over God's people. Sounds like a lot, right? When you think about that. But what it is that the power of sin was defeated at the cross forever. His rule was over. Sin no longer has power over any of us in our lives in any which way. This scripture, it describes the defeat of Satan at the cross. It's amazing. Look closely at verse 32. And when I am lifted up from this earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Look at that. What do you think that means? There's some different interpretations of that. And I looked into a lot of them. I think this text is slightly misunderstood some ways. I think, personally, this is how I view this. When it says he was lifted up, I don't think this is talking about his ascension. I think this is him on the cross. There's some different takes on it. But this cross... The cross, what he did on the cross, dying, being that sacrifice, paying for our sins on that cross, and then being resurrected, this is what draws people to him. What Jesus did on that cross is the pinnacle of Christianity and his resurrection. This is what should draw people to Jesus, their forgiveness of our sins. Think about that. Christ's death and payment for our sin is what should draw people to faith in him. 
Not necessarily. The other interpretation would be, say, the promise of eternal life. But what should draw us is your sins are paid for, and he paid that price for you. It was him hanging on the cross that should draw people to know. To know that your sins were forever paid for. The cross, that's where people need to meet Jesus. That's where we need to be, at the foot of that cross. Because it is the pinnacle of Jesus' love for each one of us. Look at verses, finish up here, 34 through 36. The crowd responded. We are under, we understood from scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? Just who is this Son of Man anyway? Then Jesus replied, My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you still can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light where there is still time. Then you will become children of light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. These people, they thought Jesus would be different. This was not the Jesus, this was not the Messiah they expected. This happens today. Still happens today. These people, they had the scriptures. We talked about this just weeks ago. They had Psalm 22. They had Isaiah 53. They knew. They had it. But they only saw what they wanted to see. They didn't see all the truth of the scriptures. They didn't see really who Jesus would be. So because they didn't accept and see that truth, it made it really hard for them to accept Jesus when he came. Really hard for them to accept Jesus as the Messiah. You know, this it's sad. It happens today. People think, they search out Jesus. They want to know who Jesus is. But they have this conception of Christianity. Oh, everything's going to be this way or that way. But, or I'm going to, I'll be a pastor and I'll be rich. Or, I mean, it goes on and on with all the conceptions people have to being a Christian. But if you read the Bible and you look at the examples given by the, the apostles, it's a much different story, isn't it? Jesus is issuing a warning here in these last few verses. Do you guys see the warning? There is a certain time for someone to turn to Jesus. There's a time where these things will be hitting forever. So the title of this sermon was, Are You Ready to Die for Jesus? Remember Thomas said that when he was going to go back in? Spiritually speaking, we must die to ourselves each and every day. And live each single day to obedience to God. Each single day becoming more Christ-like, more, more like Jesus. Each day we're to live for Jesus. So as I ask that question, are we to die to Jesus? What would you answer? How would you answer that question? Each one of you. What is your personal response to that question? Are we to die to Jesus? We must go to the cross daily, I believe. And lay down our lives as Jesus did. Giving our lives each morning to Jesus. So, each day. It's not, I'm not talking about salvation here. I'll be clear. I'm talking about laying our lives as a living sacrifice at the cross before him each and every morning. And saying, Lord, here I am. Everything I am, take. Use it as you would will. 
I give you every aspect, every part of my life. This is what it is to follow Jesus, to lay everything down before Jesus and say, here I am, do with me as you will. Sounds simple. I think I pretty much mess it up every day, right? None of us are perfect, but that is my goal. That is what I attain to each and every day to say, Lord, here I am. Here's everything I got. I don't know if it's my money, my reason, anything and everything I am and have, whatever it is, here I am. Do your will with me today. That's a living sacrifice. And to walk in that each and every day. I want to end with a quote as the worship team would head up. So you guys, please head up. Here's a quote. I'm going to put it up here. To be a Christian is to serve Jesus, to follow him. It doesn't mean that you stop working your job or caring for your family or studying at school. It means you do all that as a servant of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. When we lay down our lives and we give everything we are to him, we do all these things as a follower of Jesus. We use all these things for his glory. 